Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Tech boffins of the world unite and congregate. With social distancing, of course. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here he is, the man himself, with tech tidbits oozing from his paws. Matt, what caught your attention this week? Well, there's a few more things oozing from my paws at the moment, James. I had my daughter's 18th birthday party last oh. night, so we're recovering from that slowly. Yeah. <laughs> but what was really encouraging last night, I had a lot of 18-year-olds at the party, and they'd all just had a couple of drinks, so they were pretty casual in their conversation, and you knew that you were getting exactly what they thought. And in conversations I had with them, I was really heartened by the fact that many of the kids wanted to talk to me about electric vehicles, wind energy, solar energy, a whole range of things. Now, to be fair, they probably knew that I was a little bit that way inclined. They probably knew that I had a technology bent. They might have wanted to have a bit of a discussion and seem like they knew what they're talking about. Yeah, right. They might have done a bit of research. Well, Uh, they probably were vaguely aware. Yeah, but they probably wanted to be nice to the birthday girl's father. I can understand that's a, a thing to do, but... They actually knew what they were talking about. They had understanding of different EV models, for example, and wanted to talk about some specifics around some oh, of those wow. models. And yeah. yeah, and then when I took a few of them to the pub afterwards, they all wanted to make sure they got a ride. They didn't <laughs> want to get the taxi. Or, oh, can we get a ride in yeah. the car? And yeah, so, right. so that was good. But also, I, I just thought about it, and I thought, I think the future is in safe hands because even though we get a bit frustrated on this show sometimes, we try and stay very non-political, but sometimes mm. we just sneak a few little subtle comments in there about (laughs) governments in this country not really getting it around climate change, around future, around progress. Yeah. I think last night I sat at the end of it and said, well, I I really think the future is in good hands because these kids do get it. And I suppose there's a big tick there to a lot of school teachers around this city and around the nation who do actually talk to kids about some of these things. And some people, I'll, I'll think a very nice name there, I thought of other names, but People say, oh, no, those teachers are all lefties and they all carry on about this silly stuff. But teachers, the job of teachers is to really educate and teachers are doing a great job educating. Just from the conversation I had last night, I think teachers are doing a fantastic job educating about the real world that's out there and about the solutions we'll need in the future. Well, I'm going to say thank you on behalf of uh, all teachers uh, and particularly all science teachers as well. Yeah, there are some really big topics there for kids yeah. to get their heads around um, as they become young adults and, and older adults in positions of influence. And that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? They're 18 today and it doesn't take long before they are in those positions of influence mm. and hopefully that carries through. So I think the planet will be saved mm. and it won't be saved by the people now, I think it'll be saved by future generations. And if the market demands people um, buy, well... The electric cars, then uh, hopefully the government responds with some more incentives. If there's votes in it, I think they will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, folks, today's episode comes with a free set of authentic virtual worry beads. Um, there's our disclaimer, forewarned is forearmed, so they say. We've got good news and bad news today, or should I say good news and fuel for some conspiracy theorists. Well, that's my teaser. I'll leave it at that. But let's kick off with a story that's going to get you all smiley-faced, clapping hands, love, heart, thumbs up, Champagne cork. If a picture tells a thousand words, then an emoji's got to be good for maybe half a dozen or so at least. Have a think about it. Do you have a default emoji that you always go to? That that go to that punctuates your chat with a sign off that says just what you want to want it to say every time. Well, the world has spoken, people, and you'll be pleased to know that the favourite emoji around the world is. Wait for it. 
Face with tears of joy. A round of applause, please. Woo. Matt, yet again, the poop has been forsaken. It's been overlooked once more, even after 2021 and the year that that was. You'd think surely that would make some sort of rocketing up the list, maybe oh, even threaten there's those There's no top justice <laughs> for the poop. <laughs> And it's not something you can step in either, so surely it's a bit friendlier than than normal poop. (laughs) But it is interesting. I actually sat back and thought about this. The Unicord Consortium, who regulates what emojis we are allowed to have on our smartphones. I think that's fantastic that we've got emoji regulator. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And they approve the submissions they get each year, and they approve new ones and remove some from the list. Actually, I don't know how many they remove from the list. They seem to add more and more. 3,663 emojis are currently in the approved list. So I don't know how many have been removed. It sounds like more adding than (laughs) removing, doesn't it? But I actually sat back and thought, you might actually get a bit of a snapshot on what's happening around the world just by looking at the emoji usage. Now, there's lots of ways Hmm. to judge what's happening in the world. You could look at inflation figures. You could look at affordable housing or homelessness, all sorts of indicators. Hmm. But maybe just we look at emojis and see how people are traveling just from their emoji usage. A real social gauge right there. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And maybe I'm going a bit too far there, way outside my area of expertise. But when you think about it, you've got 6.05 billion smartphones in use across the world. So you've got a fair snapshot. It's not like Mm. you've just got a little tiny percentage of smartphones being used. So that's a fair old percentage of the current population of the world. And then emojis, people are using emojis all the time. So as you said, face with tears of joy. I never use that. That's no. one. I would use a smiley face regularly, but face with tears of joy seems yeah, look, a bit over the top. And I, I throw out the question there. Is it a, there a bit of an exaggeration? How many people are really that happy that they've got <laughs> tears of joy that much that it's going to make number one on the list? Well, apparently, it's mm, a, it's a really big one. Lots of people crying with happiness. Number two is red heart. So I can understand that one, red heart, a nice little love message you're sending to someone. So I can imagine mm. that's very high on the usage. But then I actually went back and I said, let's look through the top 50. We've had some terrible things have happened over the last couple of years. And this is a indicator list as of the end of 2021. Right. The last time they did the rankings was the end of 2019. For some reason, 2020 was skipped. I'm not sure exactly why. And so you think in that time frame, wow, there's going to be some really dour or down or sad emojis rocketing up the list because we've had a pretty tough two years. But we haven't, according to emojis. When you Hmm. look at the emoji usage, things have actually been okay. So to give you an idea, loudly crying face has moved up from eight to five. Loudly crying face. (laughs) Yeah, a picture does tell a thousand words. The fact that these have got an actual name, but I guess we can't can't, um, show them over an audio podcast. Correct. But these are official names. These These are are official names. These are the Unicode. Loudly crying face, right. Now, that's moved up. So you think, well, that makes sense because people have been sad. but crying face, not loudly crying face, just good old-fashioned crying yeah, face, right. that one's dropped from 20 to 41. But when I look through the top 50, I struggle to find anything else that was even vaguely sad. So yeah, right. most of the top 50 are happy and things like... So tell me, the smiley face, just normal smiley face, yeah. that's got to be up there, surely? No, it's way down the list. It's, I don't really? Even have, I don't even know where that is at the moment. I haven't even looked that one up to see the where it is. Smiley face and thumbs up is my, my uh, go-to. Thumb, yeah, thumbs up. So that's, that's certainly in there. Thumbs up actually went from 10 to 4. Oh, so what it, a relief. It jumped up. So yeah, again, that's There's a, justice. That's right. Smiling face with hearts went from 16 to 8. Party popper. Blasted up, excuse the pun, from 35 to 11. <laughs> even birthday cake. I don't understand this one. 
People presumably had the same number of birthdays in the last two years as they did yeah, before but that. I think people are just tired of typing out happy birthday. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it jumped from 113 to 25, so a big jump there. Partying face. Presumably not many people have been partying, but maybe they've been partying in a virtual sense. It jumped up from 78 to 30, and even balloon floated up from 139 to 48. Mm. So if you looked at some of those, you'd go, well, wow, the world's been really happy over <laughs> the last two years. So maybe people have been kind of people coping with out it. of lockdown. Well, mm. but surely it's not just, just the last couple of the weeks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But then I looked for some specific ones. I went, what are the ones that are specifically related to the lockdown, pandemic, some of the things that have been happening? And it was a bit of a struggle. Hot face, so presumably meaning that you've got a temperature, mm. went up from 236 to 83. So, okay, oh, there yeah. we go. And woozy face. I'm going to oh, use right. that only because I know it now exists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woozy face wobbled on up from 176 to 96. But even medical mask, with a, a face with medical mask, went from 186 to 156. So not a huge jump. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So anyway, just very briefly, some other ones that I, I thought were significant. I looked for other ones that made big differences in terms of going up or down. Double exclamation mark went up from, sorry, it dropped from 36 to 113. Sleepy face dropped from 68 to 188. Oh. Soccer ball, don't know why. Mm, I thought maybe Soccer World yeah. Cup or something, but soccer ball dropped down from 131 to 235. Speaking head from 120 to 277. And airplane, I can understand this one. Okay, airplane dropped out of the sky. It went from 167 <laughs> to 292. And the play button went down from 177 to 309. I don't yeah. really know why the play button dropped. Right. Big moves on the way up. I don't understand this one. If any listeners can tell me why, there were two that just no idea, no logic. Rabbit face hopped up from 346 to 137. Now, hang on. This isn't the yellow face with the buck teeth. No. This is, this is a rabbit face. This is face. a rabbit face. That's right. Okay, right. And that's its official name is rabbit face. And Rabbit, which is its official name as well, went up from 581 to 211. So I asked some kids last night at the party, I asked my kids, <laughs> what's the significance of Rabbit? Why is Rabbit suddenly a much more popular emoji than it was two years ago? And they all went, huh? <laughs> In only a way a teenager <laughs> but can. But what you have done is you've just increased the amount of usage of <laughs> Rabbit face uh, right. just with that conversation. Next year it'll be up in the top 50, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> now, Cold Face went up from 370 to 159. Shopping cart, I get that one. Lots of people doing, mm. doing online shopping. 785 to 196. Cupcake went up 457 rankings from 691 what? to 234. Well and done, Cupcake. <laughs> that's right. Good on you. And the strangely specific Bridge at Night. I don't know why that would be really <laughs> popular, but it's a, it's very specific, isn't it? Most of the uh, popular emojis romantic. are very generic. Well, maybe. <laughs> it went up from 985 to 388. And then Microbe, I suppose, is the only other one I could find that was a pandemic-related one. It went up from 1086 to 477, but still mm. not really that high. The other couple of ones were the most popular emoji in certain categories. So in the person sport category, person doing cartwheel – was the number one person sport category. Now, it's not an Olympic sport, or though maybe it should be, yeah. <laughs> but person doing cartwheel, obviously, very happy. Again, yeah, it's that yeah. happiness signal. Doing backflips. And yep. flags. Flags is the real loser in all of this. Yeah. Flags is the most or the least popular emoji group of all the emoji groups. Well, do you know, when you were saying, um, yeah, something's got to get cut, I was thinking to myself, those flags. Those flags. <laughs> the flags have 258 emojis in the category. So it's the most yeah. populated category yeah. and the least popular category. So maybe... And it's there just in case. Maybe, but maybe we're not as nationalistic mm. as we all think we are. We all think we are very patriotic to mm. whatever country we come from, but 
we don't actually use our flag that often, so maybe we're not as patriotic as we think. So interesting little snapshot, but the exciting part for all of us is you can make a submission. You can, I can, any organisation can make a submission to the Unicode Consortium and say, here is an emoji that I've been desperately crying out for. Here are the reasons why you need this emoji. And the Unicode Consortium will sit around, go harumph for rump, smoke some cigars and say, you know what, these extra emojis have made the list. And how cool would that be if an emoji that you put in was the one that made the list next year? Just to add that little bit of tone of emotion uh, yeah. to, to whatever message, because, you know, SMSs and whatever – they uh they don't have that that tone. It's hard to read tone. It is absolutely yeah. right, and that's where emojis fill that and that's tone. That's where I need a rabbit face. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've got to work out why. I need to find out why. Someone tell me what's the rabbit face all about. Well, it betrays my emotion right now. <laughs> and that is a news flash to start our bulletin today, Matt. Apple has long been the mover and shaker in the tech world. They were first to bring us the graphical user interface. That's the Windows, if dare I say that term, uh, next to Apple. They also revolutionised the music world um, with iPods and, and iTunes, uh, that app. The iPhone exploded the mobile phone market, and we all remember Phil Dunphy getting his first iPad on Modern Family. Well, Apple has a challenge. It seems the only way to stay current is to be a step ahead. Matt, are Apple revealing any secrets for the next big thing? Well, no, they're not revealing secrets, as is always the case with Apple. They're very secretive mm-hmm. about everything, and they rely it to their rumour makers who they probably feed information yeah, to. Okay. <laughs> and the I do leak, actually love the, the Phil, leak source, yeah. That's right, the Phil Dunphy one. That actually, the show with the iPad on it came out a few days before the actual iPad was available. So talk about market placement mm. on overdrive. Love that one. But the next big thing, according to the rumour mongers, is in terms of Apple, is really going down the augmented reality path in a different way. Now, every time there's a new iPad, iPhone released from Apple, they do talk about AR, augmented reality, and they give demonstrations on stage about all these wonderful things you can do with AR, look at these games you can play with Mm. the real world integrated with the gameplay, or look at this furniture you can place in your house and so you can bring the furniture online shopping experience to the house and work on that. So they have been pushing AR for a while, and some of the people that really focus on everything Apple, and I'm talking about Apple employees here, I'm talking about the the rumour mongers, people who have whole businesses based around exposing some of these rumours, believe the next big thing from Apple is going to be some sort of AR device. Now, we've got virtual reality headsets, so they don't think it's really going to be a complete enclosed headset, that fully immersive headset, probably more like some AR glasses. Now, we've seen Google Glasses, and they were a bit of a flop, if Mm. I can, it's probably being gentle to them. Complete disaster for, for Google in terms of those. But I think Apple is really working on that concept taking it to the next level, making the glasses very small and obviously with modern batteries, with modern communications, you can get things smaller and smaller. It'll rely on your phone being somewhere near some sort of Bluetooth or ultra-wideband connection to your phone so you can fill all that information into your glasses. But that's where the belief from some of the experts in this area, that's where they believe it's going to head for Apple. By the end of next year, maybe, they might expect to see some sort of announcement from Apple. Now, it may well still be some type of AR headset. It might be a bit bigger and chunkier than glasses. But I think the ultimate aim is glasses. The ultimate aim is getting there and putting on a pair of glasses. Well, I find this a bit worrisome because one of the things, I've always thought that those uh, VR glasses, or the AR glasses, I should say, um, are um, they're big and clunky and cumbersome. Um, and, and that's probably a bit of a low point for their selling, uh, for their marketing. But... The closer we get to a situation where you're confusing augmented reality with actual reality because it's nice and convenient just to stick a pair of 
normal glasses on. Yeah, that, that becomes yeah. We, we really blur the the line between AR and actual reality. Yeah, that's right. And we've seen it in some of the things we've talked about in terms of say armies being able to add oh, yeah, some sort okay. of AR to their weaponry. Yep. But just being able to have that AR and say, for example, you're walking down the street and oh, I'm feeling a bit hungry, where's the nearest cafe? And then you get directions come up on your glasses as it mm. takes you to the nearest cafe. All sorts of applications. And as with so many inventions, so many bits of technology, we can kind of guess a bit and say, oh, I think it might be used for this. But once it actually becomes available, suddenly all these things are happening with it that you didn't think of, you couldn't possibly have thought of yeah. until it was out there in the real world. And once it's in the real world, then things explode and the combined human intellect of all the world goes to work on that and then all these wonderful things pop up. But that's, if you're looking for the next big thing from Apple, if you're looking for the next big mover and shaker, the next big overall step that we might take in technology, then AR is it. And what mm. form that takes is probably the really interesting part. And again, you can get some of those VR headsets now, but they're pretty expensive. HoloLens 2, for example, is fairly popular. Three and a half grand, you'll pay for that. I know there's a few other headsets that are a bit cheaper than that, but the eyeglass market across the world is $150 billion a year. And when Apple looks wow. to be in some other space, they normally want to be in a space where there's some serious dollars. So yeah. I don't think they expect that they'll own the entire $150 billion, although Apple are fairly ambitious in what they do. But getting to the point where you could have some glasses, I can imagine this would be a technological solution that actually can be modified to suit your eyes as well as add some AR in. Mm. Why not have that? That's wow. where it might really move to. So that you don't go and say to your optometrist, hey, my eyes have moved to this level now and I'll get my testing done and I get those new glasses made. The glasses will just modify themselves suited to, do I need to see close? Do I need to see yeah, distance? Wow. What do I need to feed in there? So diagnosing and then adjusting to... Maybe. Yeah. I'm dreaming a little bit here, but this is what well, some of Well, it starts these, with an idea, doesn't it? It does. That's right. And then some engineer says, what? You want me to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? And then another engineer goes, oh, well, we could do... Yeah. Uh, and next and thing you know. goes, yeah. Uh, what did Isaac Newton say? I can see further because I stand on the shoulders Shoulder of giants. giants. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, that's an interesting little space that will continue to develop. And it is fun. I, I know I've just played AR games or sorry VR games with VR headsets and they are cool and it's so immersive <laughs> uh, there's a new one my son was playing the other day that's basically like a ghost hunter series where you go in and you know it's all rubbish you see it on some of those discovery channels all fake with ghosts and making it look like but this is a game based around that and it's just not the shock value it's the anticipation the build up of maybe yeah. seeing this ghost somewhere and then when it comes out it's so immersive <laughs> that it just about puts your heart rate through the roof and it's great for the viewers who can't see what you're seeing um, to yes. just watch what you're doing That's and how you're right. responding to and whatever it is you are seeing on the sideline going what's he jumping around like that for why is he sweating and yeah it's actually quite immersive so there's a whole area there that I think we'll see explored and Tony Stark eat your heart out yeah, that's right <laughs> Well, in the unfortunate event of an aircraft ca uh, crash, folks, it, it falls to the black box to tell us a story. It's designed to survive all costs, uh, at all costs and reveal the shortcomings that led to the untimely tragedy. So a group of scientists here in Australia have developed a similar technology for a similar purpose. But this black box is designed to collect data on our climate, dare I say it, as we wrestle some semblance of control back from the brink of global disaster. Matt, this is... Sadly, some big-time doomsday prepping, isn't it? It's Earth's black box. Mm. And a similar concept, a plane, obviously, everyone knows now, it's a, it's a trivia question from a thousand years ago. What colour is a plane black box? Of course, it's a bright orange right. colour, so you can try and find it. <laughs> so but you can it's, find it easily, yeah. Yeah, but it's named a black box because it's 
fully enclosed, so everything that's in there is dark, so that it's trying to protect it from what might happen in a plane crash. And you know, of course, everyone says we'll just make the whole plane out of whatever that's made out of, yeah. so that you don't <laughs> die in the plane crash. A few other little technicalities there. But Earth's black box is a big mother black box. It's a ten meter by four meter by three meter steel box. And wow! In exactly the same way as a plane crashes and then you want to investigate why and try and prevent it happening in the future, they have all the data recorded on the black box and they go back and play that back and all the information, the recordings from the pilots, all the different information, all the information that's being fed into the plane and mm. what the position of the aerolons is and all the rest of it. So then they can try and make some decisions. In the same way, this black box is recording a whole range of physical data from the planet. So it's recording air temperature, CO2 levels, water, sea levels, for example. So all these physical bits of information, but it does something even cleverer than that. But it's gathering that from the internet, not not just from that one spot, though, I assume. Correct. It's gathering all the information in all these data that's being recorded around the world and all that data. But it's also gathering discussions. So it's actually trawling the web and looking for articles that are written, looking for podcasts that are talking about it, Uh looking for a whole range of information about climate change and what's happening so that the theory, let's go to the the extreme example, the theory is that we all destroy ourselves and there's maybe a very small population left on Earth, there's maybe a few hundred, a thousand people, whatever, left somewhere on Earth and they all go, wow, what just happened? I know, let's make our way to Tasmania, (sighs) somehow get this black box open and then look at what's on there, look at all the information that's on there and then see where we've got it wrong and let's make it better the next time around. But it's designed to last a thousand years or more. Exactly right. Indefinitely. So And the data that's on there, it's enough data storage capacity to last about the next fifty years. So it can keep recording data, keep getting all that information. I imagine that if we last fifty years and things are still not so good, they'll probably add some additional data storage to it. But that's a fair amount of time. In fifty years time, I'm pretty confident that we'll have either destroyed ourselves or have solved the problem. I'm hoping it's more the second one that we've solved the problem rather than destroyed ourselves. But it it is a fascinating concept. It's seven and a half centimetres thick steel. It's actually built on granite. So again, it's designed to handle whatever Earth throws at it so that if we do go to extreme weather examples, this thing's going to sit there and handle all this. And if enough people know about it around the world, if there are a few survivors somewhere then they can make their way to Tasmania. It would be a quest. Hmm. Our quest as the the last survivors on Earth is to make our way to Tasmania. The Doomsday Vault in Norway, right? Well, it's a double quest. So you make your way, maybe you send off two different parties, but you make your way to Tasmania (laughs) and you get the information from the black box to see how you do it better. Then you make your way to Norway to get some seeds out of the Doomsday Box to say, now we've got that and the information from the black box, we can now regrow the planet perhaps. Reproduce Earth. That's what it sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? <laughs> and I, I suspect that the people that have actually created this black box have done it with a real mind to advertise how poorly we're going and really try and get some governments around the world to go, wow, we need to change mm. what we're doing. I don't think they ever want this black box to be used per se. They want it to be a bit of a wake-up call, a it bit of an alarm an bell. advertisement perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But it is a fascinating concept and the fact that we – need it, the fact that some people get to the point Mm. where we say we need this black box, that seems fascinating to me in its first example. But then I'm sure there's some fun engineering in it as well. Even just opening it, obviously you turn up after you've realised your quest, you've got to the black box and then you go... Oh, wow. It, it looks <laughs> it looks like a, a pretty deliberate sort of structure there. It so does. there's got to be some significance there. So let's see if we can get inside it. And then you 
Where's that drill that can drill through <laughs> seven and a half centimetres of thick steel? Did anyone bring that drill? Somewhere, surely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so what they've got is they talk about the fact that whoever is capable of getting there, it needs a little bit of ingenuity. They haven't talked about how, but they said a little bit of ingenuity to open it. So presumably there's some sort of symbol, some sort of puzzle to solve, mm. maybe, I'm not sure. But that's what I'd do. If well, it also it has me. to be vandal-proof, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. So you don't want a vandal turning up and go, ah, this, that door there, yeah. we just need to push these three buttons here and it opens the door. So yeah. you want to make it vandal-proof, but also someone able to work out how to get into it. That's a pretty good challenge oh, wow. if those two own. And then obviously they've got symbols inside so that, for example... Maybe if some population gets destroyed and we go forward a few generations and we lose languages, someone will turn up one day and stumble across it and go, oh, wait, up, this looks interesting. Maybe some previous inhabitants of Earth have left this for us. It needs to make sense to someone. Mm. In the extreme example, maybe aliens turn up and look at our planet in a thousand years' time and they find it. It's got to make sense to them as well. If they get that message from the Voyager um, <laughs> right. yeah, and they actually find us, then... Um They've got to be able to, That's right. to go to the next step. These guys sound like fun-loving creatures. Let's go, oh, there's no one here. There's they no said here. there's false advertising there there's on Voyager. There's enormous steel box. Yeah. yeah right. I wonder what could be in here. Anyway, it sounds fascinating. They've got solar panels on it, of course. They've got internet connectivity. It's got all sorts of wonderful things on there that you'd expect in a black box. But I just that concept to me is fascinating. Mm. Well, I'm glad we're not going to finish on that doom and gloom story. Uh, so let's see what's next on the menu. Hello. Here's the headline. Are you wanting to go out to a cafe and you're not vaccinated? Sorry, I mispronounced that. I'll try again. Want to go out to a cafe and you're too stupid to get vaccinated? (laughs) Well, your troubles are over. Thanks to the dark web and fake vaccination certificates. Yippee skippy, Matt. Take over while I dry reach into this bucket. (laughs) The good old dark web. What would we do without the dark web? There are 17 marketplaces on the dark web, James, that you can buy a vaccine passport. What a relief. Yes, thank goodness for that. Now, the only downside of that is they mostly seem to be vaccine passports for the US and Europe. They haven't found any for the Australian market yet, but maybe they haven't looked hard enough. Maybe Mm. they haven't been looking for an Australian vaccine certificate yet. I'm sure there's some on there somewhere. You will be heartened by the fact, though, James, that many of these are not really vaccine certificates. So you pay your money in Bitcoin, of course, Mm. and then you get nothing in return. Oh, so the scammers are being scammed. That's right. What a disappointment. The people who are saying, I don't want to be vaccinated, I'll still go to a cafe by having this certificate. Actually, sorry, you won't get anything in return. It is a bit worrisome, though, that some of those certificates are actually real. They've actually shown snapshots on the dark web of the back end of some of the national databases where they record the details. And what they do is they take someone from a long time ago, someone that died 100 years ago, for example, create a vaccine certificate for that person, add it to the national database, because obviously that person's never going to claim Mm. their, their vaccine certificate, and then they sell that particular certificate. Given the fact that it's actually free to get a vaccine. Yeah. Most countries around the world aren't charging for it. You kind of think it'd be just easier to go and get the vaccine. Just get a jab. <laughs> That's right. So you'll pay about $450, for example, in France for a fake, or no, this is a real certificate, a real certificate in France, about $450 you'll pay. Again, obviously all in cryptocurrencies. Mm. So that seems to be the going, the going price. But the interesting part is there's a little video that shows one of these sites that has fulfilled about 1,700 orders. So at $450 a pop, good luck to them. They're making a few dollars there. Yeah. But who are these idiots? 1,700. That's just on one of those 17 marketplaces. It's an expensive enterprise uh, in buying into the um, misconceptions or at least misinformation and the conspiracy theory, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And if you're a proud anti-vaxxer, 
then be a proud anti-vaxxer and say, I'm not going to go to that cafe because I'm an anti-vaxxer mm. and I don't believe in that. But it's kind of like you want to have your cake and eat it too. I want to be an anti-vaxxer, but that's a bit inconvenient for me. So I'll get a <laughs> fake certificate so I can go and eat at a cafe and then away I go. There is another scam that I've actually heard of. I only just thought of it actually while I was looking at this one, where people are being paid to go and get a jab. So people that are quite happy to have the vaccine, but they'll go along with someone else's ID. So they'll get that person gets their certificate, but someone else's people out there that have got 30 or 40 jabs. So they're well and truly protected. They're happy to do it. And they're being paid money by people who want to get the certificate, but don't want to have the jab. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, soon we'll come out of all this kerfuffle and um, hopefully better times ahead of us. And while we're on the theme, folks, um, social distancing. It is the theme of the modern age, but employers and crowd managers have got a job on their hands monitoring and and implementing measures to protect people from themselves. Folks, we introduce to you the COVID-19 mobile surveillance robot. Matt, I'm seeing a scene from the boardroom in that late 80s classic movie Robocop. You know, the one where they got that big robot comes on yes. and you have 15 seconds to comply, that sort of thing. Oh. Well, hopefully the ending's not quite as drastic as that one. James. Yeah, right. <laughs> this mobile surveillance robot just says, please move apart. Oh, okay. It's right. not armed, which is probably a good sign. That's a good thing. And in crowds, it's actually quite difficult, obviously, to monitor how close people are together. And it's a really unpleasant job for a human because you go along and you're a security guard, for example, or you're the person that wears the safety vest around, the yellow bright safety vest or the COVID-19 safety officer. And it's a pretty unpleasant thing that yeah. all you do all day is go around and say, please move apart. You're a bit too close together there. You're standing still, chatting, just move a little bit further apart. And The really clever part about this robot was when they were looking at how they could program this robot to keep people apart, people were walking along beside each other or walking past each other. That was acceptable because they're on the move. It was a bit harder to keep them apart. Mm. It's really looking for people that are still and then closer than, say, one and a half metres together for a period of time. So it's constantly surveilling an area. And I can see this being used in things like shopping malls, constantly surveilling an area where it's a common aggregation area. And then as it's doing that, people are moving in and out, people are walking, people are walking over, picking up a coffee or whatever. And then some people are standing still, but they're too close together. So Mm. then it will go over to those people and say... Not things like Robocop says. <laughs> it just says, please move apart. You're too close together. This is a safety announcement, a public service announcement, whatever. Something so those people get the hint that and maybe they should move apart. People can get cranky at a robot. The yeah, robot doesn't right. really care. Oh, they can kick it over maybe or do something <laughs> like that. But you're right. It's not so confronting. And it would be a really unpleasant job in a retail environment saying you can't come into the store because you're not vaxxed mm. or please move apart, please make sure you're scanning, all those sort of things. It's kind of that unpleasant conversation you don't want to have. And so people sometimes choose not to have it and therefore we then get yeah. people too close together. And so this is the way of getting around it. Let technology solve the problem. Let technology do the unpleasant work that people don't want to do. Well, this is the seatbelt light on your dashboard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, it so it goes bing, 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 you're not wearing a seatbelt or one of your passengers isn't wearing a seatbelt. Um, and, you know, if this was the early 80s, people would get upset. Oh, I've mean, got to wear this stupid seatbelt. What, what's that about? Yeah. But we just accept it now, it's, it's, and that's a, a thing. Well, you're right, and it is. I, I'm a bit of a stickler for seatbelts. I won't actually start moving the car without yeah. ever having their seatbelt on. And it is. It's quite nice because you can say, come on, kids, put your seatbelts in the back if you're taking some friends or whatever for a trip. Oh, we're only just going around the corner, sir. No, no, put your seatbelt on. And mm. you sound like a bit of an old grump. But when it's just dinging, it's quite convenient because you can say, oh, 
this silly car. It's going to keep dinging. <laughs> and it's a bit annoying. Look, just put your seatbelt on. It stops the dinging. So it's not yeah. you saying it then. It's the technology saying it. So That's I think right. it's, a, it's a really good example. This robot will come along and say, move apart, do the right thing. It uses LiDAR. It uses cameras. So it's quite an advanced system and a, an advanced algorithm that works out how long you've been together, that type of thing, before it starts to get a bit testy with you. But again, this is the world we live in. We're going to need this sort of thing to make sure we can keep protecting the world. New variants come out. Yep. We get a bit relaxed. Oh, fantastic. It's all out of lockdown now. We start hugging and kissing each other. And then, oh, whoops, we've had another outbreak. And yep. so it's going to float up and down for many years to come, I think. And vaccinated or unvaccinated, anyone who gets this um, infection uh, has a chance of being the next person who's responsible for the next mutation. Yeah. So uh, I guess if you're vaccinated, then you've got a, a shorter amount of time of, of um, causing that, vac- uh, that uh, mutation. So get yourself vaccinated, but we're never really going to be covered unless everyone's, we've got 100% coverage yeah, of vaccination. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So anyway, look, this sort of thing's good. I think it's other solutions. People are coming up with solutions to solve problems of today and mm. that's what's great about technology it's so fast changing and there's so many nimble companies out there that are continually coming up with innovations but they're relevant to right now the problems we have right this second not yeah. we'll work on something for the next 20 years and maybe come up with a solution they're, they're doing it now yeah if you've got your worry beads with you uh, and you've been working those through the palm of your hand uh, over the last couple of minutes i've got another story for you here fans of george orwell might we might be 30 years a bit late here But like it or not, we are there. This is his 1984. Surveillance is everywhere, folks. Visuals and audio too, even in Ubers now. Matt, this is for our safety, of course. As long as Uber doesn't let these audio recordings be released to the real world, to the wireboard, unless there's a court (laughs) case involved. Mm. Because we've seen a couple of examples of that where people have been in an Uber having conversations about some other work colleagues, might be famous people, for example, on TV or something, and the next thing you know, that audio gets released, or even the video gets released, and it destroys careers. So hopefully it's not for that reason. Uber are now saying that audio can now be recorded by the driver and or the passenger, and other parties know about it. So if the rider is, or the passenger is recording it, then the driver knows about it and vice versa. But it's just one of those things that it just feels a bit more protected or you feel a bit safer if you know that this audio is being recorded and the driver suddenly says i'm going to take you down this street here and rob you or whatever else they might want to do to you you actually feel like well i don't think they're going to do that because Mm. the audio is being recorded so i can say no driver don't go down this back street here and rob me like you're threatening to do so that just makes you feel a bit safer but you're right there's a fine line in our comfort level between everything being recorded we know everything that's happening and oh, I want to be safe. So, gee, I I feel like you're infringing on my privacy and just having that big brother's watching you and no, I want to be safe. And the line is different for everyone. I I find anyway, different people talk about it. That's right. But yeah, so Uber's introducing this. They've already introduced it in three cities, US cities now. So it's basically starting right now. And you've got a notification. And it won't be long before it's here. No, no, that's right. I think they do test rollouts often to test the technology more so than testing the actual user. Oh, probably it is testing the user interaction as well or the user reaction. But I think really it's just test the technology. Once they know it works, roll it out everywhere. So when you get into an Uber, you'll have a notification on your phone to say this audio is being recorded, your driver's recording it. If you don't want that, you can say to the driver, no, I don't want this recorded. Why you wouldn't want that recorded would be a bit of a concern to the driver, I yeah. would imagine. If a passenger got into me and I was the driver, please don't record this audio. 
uh, why? (laughs) (laughs) But, and vice versa, if the driver says to the passenger, no, no, I don't want you recording the audio for this trip. Again, if I was a passenger, I'd be a little bit worried about it. So I think most people would go, yeah, whatever, record the audio. If it's protected and it's encrypted, and this is what Uber's saying, the data is encrypted. It uses the app to record the data, but the data is encrypted and you can't just unencrypted because you want to have a bit of a listen to some silly conversation that happened like a driver might want to do about some famous people in the, in the in the Uber. But I think the idea is if there's a court case, if there's a valid reason that this needs to be unencrypted, then it will be unencrypted in that scenario. Always room for abuse, always room for hacking and this sort of information. Is it impossible to unencrypt that data without the permission of Uber? No, of course not. Everything is able to be done, but I just think it makes you feel a bit safer. And I suppose when you're in that Uber, just say things that you're okay to be broadcast across national radio. Yeah, and, and that's more and more the way things are these days. Is, is. Yeah, you, if you're not prepared for everyone to hear it, then you've got to be very careful about where it's said. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> and while we're on the subject of surveillance, folks, how about this? Do you have security cameras in your house? Have you been a bit carefree about where you walk around in the nude? Or where you've had your special grown-up sexy time? If you've ticked either of these boxes, then we have wonderful words from the hackers of the world, and those words are, thank you very much. <laughs> Matt, what price do you reckon they get for a five-second clip of a slightly overweight middle-aged guy with no muscle tone making a bolt from the bathroom to the bedroom before his family wakes up? I'm not sure if you're talking about me or you there, James. <laughs> <laughs> I have been known to scoot from the shower in a hurry because I've forgotten to take my clothes with me. But anyway, yeah. The laundry's always too far away from the shower, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> but it's a quite amazing what people get up to in the pursuit of the almighty dollar. Now, at one stage, South Korea boasted, and I think they probably still lay claim to this, to be being the most connected country in the world, which mm. sounds like a really good advertisement. We're really technologically advanced. Look at us. Aren't we doing some fantastic things? And so some hackers have said, wow, if we're going to go and try and tap into some home footage, some home CCTV, then South, South Korea, Korea would be the place, place to do it because they've got more cameras than everywhere wow. else. <laughs> so I made light of it in the intro, but this is pretty serious. It yeah. is. And there's some hackers that put some information out there and they put some little thumbnails of various apartments. They've labelled those apartments. Here's apartment number 17 in this particular apartment block. Here's a thumbnail. So someone looking at that goes, oh, wow, that's me there. That's a bit scary. Now, most of the time, hackers would actually say to people, here's what I saw you getting up to, whether it was running through the house naked or whether it was loving someone in a very special way. Some people might go, I don't really trust that you're not going to release that information out there if I pay you some money. So they've taken a different approach, these hackers. Very innovative, these hackers are. They've said, maybe just people out there randomly want to watch some of these little home movies, which people didn't know they were making home movies of, or watching someone that they might know running through the house naked, or whatever else might happen in the house. So they're just offering up these clips for sale for anyone to buy. And apart from the example you gave of someone might be willing to pay a certain amount of money for a certain style of person, then people are paying up to eight thousand dollars for some of these clips from apartments and there was a journal who's looking at this story and they went yeah sure it sounds like a bit of a scam sounds like i'm going to pay you some bitcoin and then i'm never going to see the clip again how have i got any proof and so one of the hackers responded and said here are some apartments in or some units in an apartment block and here are my thumbnails from those 
go and knock on any of those doors and see if these people look familiar to you. And oh, so the journal yeah. did exactly that and went, oh, wow, look at that. That person that I'm looking at in this thumbnail is the person who answered the door. Yeah, I think this person has actually got legitimate clips of these apartments Jeepers and creepers. lots of these apartments. And some of it comes down to the manufacturers of these devices potentially having a small loophole, some sort of back door, not necessarily deliberate to get into these. And still some of it comes down to the thing we've talked about mm, about a thousand times, just simple passwords. Your password's too easy to get mm. into. One, two, three, four, five, six, the word password, all those things that we say all the time, do not put these in. And here's a good reason not to have some of those easy passwords. Some people think, oh, it doesn't matter. No one's after my information. And they're right. They're not after their information. They're not the President of the United States. They're not the Prime Minister of Australia but they are just another bit of data there. And so hackers now aren't so much focusing on, I want to get James Eddy and see him run down the house naked. They're just saying, I want to get anyone. Mm. And if it's easy to get your data, then they'll just pick up that data and then use it in any way, shape or form they want to. So well, I'm going to assume that uh, not even for the nude stuff, it's um, you, you've got... You've, you've, they know the layout of your house. They know what sort of stuff you've got in your house. So yeah, you know, so it's potentially for burglaries and whatnot. That yeah. they could market their stuff to any bad guys that want to take advantage of you. They know if you're an elderly person that lives by yourself. Um, if you're an easy target, you know. and they know if you've got a nice TV in the house. They know you've got nice things that you might want to steal. So they've got the layout of the house. They know when people are there. They know who's there and they know the, the stuff you've got to steal. And it's not on a local scale where they've got to sit outside the front of your apartment or whatever <laughs> and just stalk who's who's going in and out. They're doing this on a global scale yeah, so they know right. exactly where to zoom in. Yeah, yeah. and wow. so it's, it's not the first time we've seen a few of these problems with smart homes and that's the issue with smart homes. There's so many things that are being connected now. We saw back in 2018 a couple of computer science students were hired by a local newspaper and they were given the job of trying to hack into a residential building. And they did. They just hacked into it, gained access to the internal camera. Now, they weren't trying to do anything bad. In fact, it was for good purposes because the newspaper said, we want to see how easy it is to get in and actually look at this information. And so they wrote a full article on it saying, here's what we did. We got a couple of uni students and said, hack in. And they did. They were paid to be hackers. Wow. And they got in and, again, didn't use it for any bad purposes. But that sort of thing, um, police broke up a criminal cr uh, group in 2019 that basically used um, hidden cameras in hotel rooms. So then they could actually watch what was going on in those hotel rooms. And I imagine you'd see a few more bits of special love going on in the hotel rooms <laughs> than you might in your household. So stuff like that's been happening over and over. Uh, again, it just comes down to how much surveillance do you want, how comfortable are you with it all, yeah. and putting some appropriate precautions in place. If you want to have that surveillance in place, great, but put some appropriate safeguards in place. Yeah, you've And got maybe pay a couple of uni students here. to try and hack into your place. <laughs> Might be a good little test there. There could be some uh, lucrative dollars just in that. That's right. <laughs> okay, people, the future is not all doom and gloom and surveillance robots and stolen security camera footage. Let's talk about home entertainment systems and big, big, big screens bringing that home cinema experience for a price that's hopefully less than that of a family car. Matt, what can I watch my uh, Christmas movies on that's somewhere near affordable but will make me feel like I'm actually sitting in the same room with Will Ferrell in his elf suit? <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> so 100-inch TV, 120-inch TV. We've talked about some of these big-screen big, TVs. Yeah. And they're typically OLED or even LED or LCD, maybe some of the older ones. Come with a big price too. They come with big price. And I'm talking $20,000, dollars $100,000. And sure, you might like watching Will in full life-size. Sounds a bit <laughs> scary, really. But do you really want to pay that kind of money to put that up on your wall when you could go to the cinema every day for the next 20 years for a lot less money than that? But 
obviously TV companies are working on different solutions and getting larger TVs at better prices. So one company's now come up with the idea of using short throw projectors. Now you'd be familiar with those because they're used in schools a lot. Yeah. So short throw projectors are typically used on say a smart board. They're nice and close to the actual screen, maybe 30 centimetres away from the screen. And they do, as the name suggests, a short throw, very clever technology to get the angles right to actually direct it onto a screen rather than a normal projector you put back at a distance and it just sends out a rectangular symbol or sorry, rectangular signal and then that just goes to a bigger size on the wall. These short throw ones obviously are coming from a very obtuse angle and going up at a very extreme angle there and getting it onto a wall. Now, what you often find with those is you've got to have something special to, to project it onto mm. and then you've also got to have a fairly dark room because you lose a fair bit of brightness and the colours aren't great. So you wouldn't think that would be great for a TV if you're trying to watch a decent sort of movie. Well, this latest version has got three layers instead of one, which is normally what they have, and they actually do give you as part of the package a screen that you put on the wall. So the only thing you mount on the wall is not a TV, you just mount this particular screen. It rejects ambient light, it picks up the colours from this. So theoretically, you can watch TV, full saturation, full colour saturation. You don't have to make the room like a cave, you don't have to shut it all down and make it look like a cave to actually get any brightness on there. It's bright enough that you can watch it reasonably. And price tag, you're talking maybe $3,500 for a 100-inch, which is pretty impressive yeah, for a 100-inch TV. Yeah, yeah, Even eight grand for a 120-inch TV is not too bad. Again, you're talking definitely tens and twenties of thousands of dollars to get anything like that sort of size in other technologies. I haven't actually seen one yet. I'm keen to actually go and have a look at one to see how it is in terms of brightness because your first impression is it's never going to be as bright. Everyone's yeah. been in a room with a window, for example, and a bit of sun coming through and an overhead projector and you go, oh, I can't quite see that half of the screen because it's in a bit of sunlight. I'm actually not a big fan of sitting in the darkness either. Maybe no. in the cinema, but uh, yeah, in my home, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to shut it down and look like a cave. You, you probably just get sleepy then and miss half yeah. the movie because you yep. fall asleep, especially if it's Christmas afternoon <laughs> after you've had a nice big lunch. So this is actually interesting and it's it's we think we've got TV technology nailed. We think we know all about it and we've been developing it for so many years and this is the technology going forward, but people keep coming up with different ideas or revisiting old ideas. So taking older technology and then saying, can we make that a bit better and then use it in, in the home? So I think this will actually be something that starts to take off again, depending upon just how bright it is and how good that colour saturation is. Mm. Well, you know, literally watch this space <laughs> uh, for more developments in that front. Got yourself overseas flights booked for 2022? Oh, it feels so dangerous just saying the words. Let's talk hypothetically, though. Let's say you were travelling overseas to France, for example. Is your French a little bit rusty? They get so impatient when you don't understand them. Don't sweat it, people. Matt's here to introduce you to the Pocket Talk Plus, an instant translator that'll get you those trois baguettes de salade with the moutarde de Dijon extra. How was that? No wonder they bring out something completely different to you. <laughs> In a heartbeat, with minimum French ado. So one of the things that's interesting about smartphones is we can put so many apps on them that we can use them for just about everything. So it means that you end up with not specific devices to do certain tasks because the smartphone does everything. This is a bit different to that. This is Pocket Talk Plus, as you mentioned. It's a translator. It's a device that has one job in the world. It's a translation device. Now, I use an app. The app, my favourite app, there's lots of translation apps out there and there's even ones built into things like Google. But the translation app that I use is called Say Hi. I've been using it for years. Mm -hmm. It works very effectively. I actually got it from a taxi driver in Japan. Yeah, right. He told me about it. He was using it in a taxi. I went, oh, that's probably better than the one I'm using at the moment. What's that one? So I've been using that for a long time. But on a mobile phone, part of the problem is when you travel to another country, you've got to make sure you get a connection 
in that country to whatever the local carrier is. Of course, you can yeah. try and use Wi-Fi, but the first place you want to use it is at the airport. You probably haven't had time to maybe turn on international roaming or buy a local SIM, whatever it might be there. So you're trying to get to your motel, and my French is a lot worse than your French. Or, or so maybe you need three baguettes maybe, um, maybe. with garden salad and Dijon mustard. Maybe, that's right. And I definitely wouldn't get that if I asked for it in, in some terrible French accent. But this device allows you just to turn up to a country. It's automatically got a SIM card in it that connects to 130 carriers around the world. So you can supposedly turn up to most common countries and just pull it out and start using it. Now, the way these work is very clever. Nothing's on the device. It's all in the cloud. You talk into it. It's got a screen on it, and it will actually put up the words that you've spoken on the screen so that you feel comfortable that you've asked for the right thing. Okay. So the words are on there on screen, and then it basically converts it to the other language, whatever language you choose, and then puts it on the screen in that language for the person so they can actually read it as well as hear it. If they can't quite understand the accent on the recorded device, then at least they can read it on the screen as well. And then the reverse happens. They talk back into it. So it makes for a slightly stilted conversation. But better but than you'll a, get there. You'll get there and better than a translator. And I've been in countries where I've had translators for me, and I really worry when I say something that's 20 seconds long and their translation is two seconds <laughs> or vice versa. And I think I get more worried about the vice versa. When I say something quite short and the translation seems to go for a long period of time and I go, They've did elaborated. they just say that this guy has got a funny head and, and isn't really a very nice person? And by the way, this is what he said. Or did it really take that long to explain what I just said? So you don't know. You just it all going, depends if the audience is laughing or, or not. And you at the talking. wrong spot. <laughs> yeah. When you're saying something deadly serious and they start laughing, you think, hmm, maybe that translator... Can go through that again? Yeah, a bit of poetic <laughs> license there potentially. So this way you know that at least it's got the information that you said accurately and then hopefully it translates it fairly accurately. But what I do like about it is that whole thing that's quite simple where you just turn up and it works. There's no mucking around trying to get connected to Wi-Fi or the local carrier or whatever it might be. It's just going to work there. And the price of it isn't too bad. It's about $300, but that also includes the first two years of SIM card usage. After that, there's another fee that you can add on for it, but that's not too bad. And international roaming can get expensive. Buying SIM cards in different countries can get expensive, especially if you're doing multiple countries in a short period of time. You're buying new SIM cards for different countries or hoping the roaming for those ones works. So I don't mind it, even though I'm kind of a bit of a fan of having your phone do lots of things and getting different apps to do lots mm -hmm. of things. Surely there's an app for that. There's been an app created for just about everything. I don't mind the idea of this being so specific about that one job in the world to do and presumably it's going to do that better than anything else. Do it else. really well. Yeah. yeah. And it is pretty important to do that particular part well because <laughs> yeah. who knows where you might end up what you might end up eating what things happen to you if you get it wrong in a translation and when your family needs those baguettes now that's right <laughs> and just like that folks we're done for another week actually it wasn't so bad after all doom and gloom wise um a delicate balance this week i'd actually say matt yeah, a delicate balance, and I'll go back to those 18-year-olds and tell them that I've, I've taken advantage of their knowledge and used their knowledge to go out there and tell the world that the world is okay. We're going to be okay in the We're future. We're going to be okay, yeah. We had some, hey, how about this fun, leveled out with a bit of beware, look at what's coming at you, and then some, um, hey, the future's pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, credit to you. I feel like I've had a wholesome three-course meal. <laughs> in French, of course. I'm off to pick up one of those translators to see if I can work out what, what my wife means when she drops one of those subtle hints. Yeah. <laughs> I'm James Eddy, and thanks for tuning in to Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. We wish you a very Merry Christmas, and we hope you all stay safe over any holiday breaks that you're taking. See you for our next Tech Talk.